0: When are you gonna realize it's not 1985 anymore, it's 1986!
1: welcome to a very special episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. Brad, the premise of our show from the start has been to talk about movies that bombed at the box office or maybe the critics just didn't get, didn't like. We're doing something totally different tonight, right?
2: Yes, but our underlying theme has always been trying to champion things as well.
1: Yes, so <laughs> that is that is a perfect way to talk about um, the movie that we're going to discuss this evening. So, a little bit of backstory: uh, Brad, myself, uh, a lot of the people that come onto the show, we we follow a ton of different websites that talk about Blu-ray releases, 4K releases, etc. And there, there was just there was something that caught my eye on a blurb over the summer. And it had to do with a Blu-ray release in the UK about a film that was basically a claymation film. And it was an action-adventure horror film. And more specifically, the movie takes place in the 80s. So just that little you know description, two lines, I, I had to go look for this thing. And the title of the film was called Chuck Steele, Night of the Trampire's. So, of course, I, I I go to YouTube and I look at the trailer and I watch this trailer and I'm like, oh, my God, I got to order this thing. <sighs> so I, I order it from Amazon uh, and it comes from the UK. It takes about two weeks to get here. The day it gets here, I, I open this thing up. The, the cover just looks absolutely gloriously ridiculous. And I'm like, all right, I, I got to watch this tonight. The whole family sits down and watches it with me. And that first showing... I'm immediately texting everybody I know after watching that film. And I started with you, Brad, and said, oh, my God, you have to watch this, and we need to talk about it.
2: Yeah, and I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never even heard of this thing. Um, I am pretty well-versed in what's coming out and all this stuff. So when you threw something on me called Chuck Steele, and it's a claymation movie, I was like, okay, I'll I'll take your word for it um, and ordered it.
1: Yes. So we've been sharing this uh for the past few weeks with a lot of folks. We actually have a guest on tonight too, um, because uh w- I've seen this thing five times now. And I think viewing number three was with our good friend John Nance. And so uh we had a um, lot of people wait, wait, wait oh, who? I'm sorry. Korean cool John yes. Nance. <laughs> <laughs> um so we 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 had Sammy was supposed to be here tonight. We had a lot of people who wanted to show up to the show, but uh, we we've just had some scheduling conflicts. But, John, thank you for showing up. And uh, I'm I'm super excited to hear your thoughts on this film, because we only talked a little bit about it after you watched it. And uh, when I told you we, we were going to discuss it on the show, you were immediately like, hey, I want to be on. And so I said, well, well, then we can't talk about it anymore. So we haven't really talked about this film for about a week but but how are you doing tonight john
0: I, i'm doing good hey guys how's it going um long time no see buddy i know man it's been what 72 hours <laughs> something yeah. like that yeah. <laughs> something like that yeah doing good overall um unfortunately i had a little incident at the grocery store where i tried to give uh this young man some uh life advice and it didn't go too well with his mom so uh-oh uh oh yeah yeah I was basically quoting
1: Chuck Steele but. okay yeah <laughs> nice
2: <laughs> I thought you were gonna ask him to face or balls
1: yeah <laughs> uh so yeah typically our format is we kind of go through the history of a film there there's really I, I just want to get into this I really want to talk about the film it has an unusual origin in that uh and, and I didn't know this uh, and it started out. Uh, Chuck Steele started out as a short, and so there was a um, – it's about a 14-minute 14, uh, 14 short called Chuck Steele Raging Balls of Justice, and it played on the film circuits. Apparently it apparently was a hit, and the more we started talking about this film, I think our good friend Randy had recommended this short before, and for whatever reason, I just – I never saw it. But that short uh, garnered a lot of attention and some funding in order to make this film. Now I don't know the cost of the film. I'm I'm sure it's out there on the internet. Well, and it
2: says twenty million. I don't know if I think that is correct, but reportedly it's twenty million.
1: Yeah, uh, and, and and if it is, that twenty million is is one hundred percent on screen. But I don't know. Uh, it it was. I guess completed or finished around 2018, and it started making the film circuits, and it was a hit. So uh, it is directed by Mike Mort, and interesting, Mike Mort uh, specifically not only directs it and is responsible for the character creation, etc., but he does like 12 voices in this thing, and specifically he does Chuck Steele. It has a very interesting cast as well. In that you get Jennifer Saunders, who I think a lot of people might know from um, Absolutely Fabulous, uh, Paul Whitehouse, uh, Dan Russell, but I mean, really, this is uh, to to best describe it. It is an action film done in a claymation style, and and I want to put the emphasis on an action film because it's a it's a very unusual film in that it doesn't look like your typical. Wallace uh, and Gromit claymation film. It, it really looks like an action film. And uh, it is it fair to say, like, if people see the trailer or they're kind of debating on checking it out, you should be warned. It has the sensibilities and the humor of something like South Park or Team America World Police, right?
2: Yeah, it's like <laughs> if if South Park, Team America and Canon Films decided
1: to have a baby, with with uh, Sam Raimi's Evil Dead movies or Fright yes. Night or something because yeah. it, it it is a horror action comedy but that that's the premise right it takes place in the eighties it's a cop on the edge who is trying to stop the outbreak of trampires and it this is funny because my wife and I had this discussion when when she heard that title she's like what is it is it like prostitute vampires I'm like no like tramps like Lady in the Tramp and um but it's hobos it's uh, that's what their trampire is, but no. yeah, that, yeah, that's the premise of the film, and yeah. uh, it takes place in 1986, uh, which is it's just a, absolutely an amazing premise.
2: Yeah. So the Hollywood Reporter says uh, a proposed budget of 20 million dollars.
1: Oh wow. Okay. So yeah, and and this thing uh, it won a lot of accolades. It it I, I think as the story goes too, it didn't just win you know, film festival awards for its animation style, but in categories like best action film, it it won that too and uh, beat out other live action films. So I I just kind of want to get into your thoughts on this because I I just got to be honest with you. It has been killing me not to sit down and talk about this film with you two because we were trying to schedule it and get our thoughts on the record. But I want to start with you, Brad, because you were the first person I reached out to after, you know, the credits rolled um, and in full disclosure, I saw the film and then when I realized that there was a short out there, uh, because it's on the Blu-ray disc, uh, I went and, and watched the short, but I, I just got to know what you think of this thing. Cause we, we have, we have not talked about it at all. So I'm going to start with you.
2: Yeah. So immediately, I think the thing that, that catches my eye is just how good the animation of this is. It might be the best claymation I've ever seen. It's shot at 24 frames a second. Usually claymation is uh, every other frame. So it would be 12 uh, frames a second. So this one has a fluidity to it that really, really makes it stand out, makes the action um, kind of really come to life. And the creature design is amazing and stuff disintegrates really, really well. It's ooey and gooey in all sorts of ways, but it's a love letter to everything that we love. Um 80s action films, B-movies, Evil Dead, um, kind of like a little Duke Nukem in there as well. I don't love Duke Nukem, but Duke Nukem kind of is a, you know, Ash uh, surrogate. Um, But yeah, I I watched this um, and immediately fell in love with it. And the humor really, really hits hard. And it's really funny now the thing I think it separates it from team America is it isn't as vulgar vulgar. Um, it's like a little bit closer to a little bit more uh, R. like, I like once max gets like 12, I would let him watch this. I wouldn't let him watch <laughs> team America at the age of 12. Um, but it does have this playfulness to it. And I just thought immediately when I was, when I was watching it, I was like, this is, so funny. And it looks so good. There's no reason this movie needs to be this. Like, I, I think I was just shocked that something this good could just be out there and like, no one know about it and kind of feeling bad about like the art form that this guy has put together needs to be experienced by a lot of people, um, more than it has, because I think this is, I, I, I'm trying to think like would I watch this over team America, it's, it's hard to say, but it's really good, man. It's, it's really good. I, I have just kind of thrown it on in the background every once in a while, just be like, Oh, I just want to watch this or this. Um, there's a tunnel scene where there's a really big explosion and you're just like, how do, how do they do that with this claymation stuff? Like, I don't know how they did some of this stuff, but um, yeah, I think, I think this is something that if you like those types of movies, and even if you don't, even if you just like comedies, I think this is gonna like really uh speak to you because it spoke to me and I was loving every second of it.
1: I'm so happy. I am so happy to hear that. Uh John. Now I I got to experience this with you um and and kind of watch from the corner of my eye your reaction to it, but I, I kinda wanna hear your vocalized thoughts on, on Chuck Steele night of the Trampires. It was all right. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, it is. Um, You know, you, you go through and you hear about those, those hidden gems, those, those gems in the rough that that's truly what this movie is. Um, Not only was it beautifully done, beautifully executed, uh, Brad hit upon it. So impressed with the visuals and how it was put together, Gumby, you can suck it. <laughs> this this claymation movie doesn't really look claymation. And to truly understand what I'm trying to saying, folks, you have to get yourself a copy. You have to support this guy. You have to support the studio, and watch it. Brad mentioned it. Um, a movie's funny, and I'm you know if 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 uh, and I'm just going to full disclosure. If you get offended at some you know the crass humor of the 80s and 90s and stuff you might not find it that funny uh but suck it watch it anyway it's hilarious um the story execution and just again just the technical aspect of what went into making this movie um (laughs) yeah you're sitting there going man how did they really pull that off how did they do that with you know with what they had and and again i can't believe this is claymation yeah i'm sure there was some you know post-production special effects but to me it was like 95 of that was just all the stop motion and the love and tears that mike mort put into this um it I, all i can say is it, it was it, it was this is one of those movies where it doesn't quite take maverick's spot but it's definitely one of the best movies i've seen in a long time because it brought me another story. It had me cracking up. I couldn't stop smiling as I'm watching it. And, uh, you know, I can answer Brad's question about what I watch this over Team America. Hell yes. I mean, to me, it's kind of not a question because I truly enjoy start to finish what I'm watching and what I'm hearing. And yeah, um, there's definitely some um, not safe for work. I guess you could say memes that should be used at work quite a lot.
2: Choy, yeah. <laughs> uh, Choy. I will add. I cannot wait to have people over and watch this with me because they have. I mean, the people that that come over uh, regularly to my house to watch movies and stuff. This will like blow them away because I'm just be like, oh, you have no idea what you're about to experience, but I, I guarantee you're going to like it. Uh,
1: yeah. I, it's, I, that's a good point. I, I got to say, of all the films that I've seen in the last few years, and I'm, I really am trying to think about the last film that I just had this giddy response to when you're watching it with a group. So there, there are just some films that are just kind of magical when it comes down to a group watch, especially with like-minded folks. And everybody's sort of in amazement of what's going on on screen. You're kind of laughing at the same jokes, uh, you're cheering. I'm sure everybody's kind of experienced that in the movie theater uh, and, and those those films really hold a special place in my heart. And And the one other film I can think of that probably matches uh, that that group watch for me was Tucker and Dale versus evil. So Tucker and Dale versus evil to me is is one of the best horror comedies ever. And when you watch that, again, with a group of like-minded people, and it's another film I've seen. I think we watch it like a couple times a year. Uh, it, it's just so much fun. And it's quotable, and everybody's talking about it. And days after you see that film, even if you've seen it multiple times, you're still quoting it. And uh, the, the humor lands, and it continues to land with multiple viewings. And this is one of those films for me. I mean, I, I cannot think of the last movie I've watched with a group and I watched this with a group of people like five times now, uh, and, and it's and it's just fun. It's a lot of fun. If you were to tell me, like, rank it of the films that I've seen this year, this is probably in the top five. And maybe by the end of the year, after five more watches, it may take the number one spot. I don't know. I, I just I don't know of a film even of this year that was more fun than this one. Um, and from a technical perspective it's just dazzling. I, I don't know about you guys, but the first time I watched it and uh tab of had watched it with me and we were and sort of camera, my son uh, and my daughter Well, the whole family. Right. So we're, we're watching God. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're watching it. And the first 15, 20 minutes, uh, there's a lot of jokes and they're coming fast and furious. Nobody's laughing and I'm looking around, and everybody's mouth is kind of a gape because we all had the same reaction, and we're like, "How did they do this?" Because you've seen a lot of claymation, especially if you've seen any of like the Wallace and Gromit movies, you know, uh, Shaun the Sheep, any, anything, right? Uh, but you're watching this first sequence, especially with this ninja rooftop thing. <laughs> And and it's it's a hodgepodge of every Chuck Norris film mixed with Die Hard and Enter the Ninja. It's amazing, but as you're watching it and you're and you're just looking at it from a technical aspect, there are so many jokes, but you're you're kind of missing it all because you're just you can't believe what you're seeing, and your eyes have to get used to it a little bit because I think with typical claymation, like you said, Brad, it has a different um, frame rate. And this one, you're watching a flat-out action film take place. It's cut like an action film. It's scored like an action film. There's blood, gore, guts, bullets, the whole nine yards, explosions. Um, and the physics within this film are the same physics you would see in a canon film. And I swear, the first 15, 20 minutes, I, I just couldn't take my eyes off of it. And uh, I was just I was staring in total disbelief. And, and it wasn't until my second or third viewing that I was kind of laughing in the beginning and catching all the jokes. Uh, but every watch, and, and here's another thing I love about it, every watch I've seen so far, I've caught something new that's either happening um, in the background that you just don't notice because there's so much going on and uh, there's something really funny happening or a line or a delivery and you finally get it. Uh, but I, I don't know. this This is a love letter to all of my favorite films, especially from the eighties and the humor comes from a very eighties place where it's not malicious. It has, um, I I hate to say this has a little bit of heart to it. It's not mean spirited humor. It, it just, it's fun and it's poking fun at the eighties genre and how ridiculous it is, but it's also holding up with a certain form of reverence.
2: Yeah, there's sort of a love letter aspect to this movie.
1: It is. It's not out there saying, oh, well, this Chuck Steele, who as a character is the most chauvinistic character you've seen in years. I mean, um, it's crazy. And he even has a little bit of a story arc to the end, which kind of surprised me. Uh, but it's, it's poking fun of it itself. It's poking fun at all those 80s action films. But at the same time, it's kind of saying, you know what? In a really demented way, this is still a lot of fun and, and still pretty cool. Yeah, yeah so I think I think it, it you hit ma- it right. that balance, man.
0: Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head. Right, you know, he, this movie to me, again, I, I can sense the amount of love that and, and, and just the heart that he put into this because this was his movie. This is what he delivered, and it was, as you said, it was, it was, it was honoring. It was playing homage, and it was a tribute. To you know, the '80s action film stuff that you know us '80s kids grew up in—that was just like, wow, that was so cool, and man, that was so hilarious. And it, it delivers on so many levels that you know it, 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 he's got a lifelong fan in, in me because I, I anything he puts out now, I, I will just immediately just buy, yeah, no question asked because he delivers. And that's 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 the bottom line. He delivered on all fronts, from visuals to technical to scoring, to 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 the. I'll go back to technical because when I was watching that movie, to me, I was like, "Man, this has got to be CGI." But I'm watching it, and I'm like, "That's not CGI." I, I mean, there's just so much level of detail put into it. I don't know how he did it. Or if if it was a mix i don't know it's just it was just blu-ray
1: all i can say is get the blu-ray there is some kind of behind the scenes featurettes on there that'll show you the making of it you will be fascinated by it Mm -hmm. um the the stuff that they put into it it it, (laughs) i i gotta tell you the mix between the claymation the practical effects the uh there's a little bit of cgi in there and green screen and stuff but very minimal but how they did this and how they put it together—I mean, obviously, it took years and years to make. But it is absolutely ridiculous how it comes together and it's so seamless. The thing about this film, in terms of animation or claymation specifically, is I expect Chuck Steele to walk through my living room door right now. I mean, it looks so realistic. That is, it—it it just looks like a living, breathing character, and it looks like a fully realized world. You get so wrapped up into it. At times you kind of forget you're watching a claymation. It's that good. Jesus.
0: Jesus. Uh, you know what? That's a beautiful pitch to to Mike Mort If he's going to do a sequel, uh, poke fun of live uh, last action hero and have Chuck Steele come into our world. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would, tro- be, um, that would be amazing.
2: Shockingly, this has clowns in it and Troy loves it.
1: Yes. Well, but well, the clowns are the villains <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, I appreciate that. Right. So, I mean, clowns are terrible and uh, they end up being the villain and Chuck Steele hates clowns. So I'm, I'm on Chuck Steele's side right out of the gate here. Yeah. Let, let's just say there was a lot
0: of hiding at the, at the beginning of the movie. And then when the clowns were dying, I never seen so many fist pumps. It was oh, crazy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, I, I have to say like, if anyone is intrigued by the conversation or is, is curious. Just do it. Just make the jump, go on Amazon, buy the Blu-ray. You won't regret it.
1: No, you will not. You will not. Yeah. I, I have to ask you guys, do you have a favorite sequence of the film? It, it is really hard for me to pick out, um, my favorite parts, uh, or, and, and here's the other thing, the humor, I know you mentioned this Brad a little bit. The humor is consistent. There are some jokes that have this through line and what I love about it is it it has this police academy mentality with its humor.
2: Yeah, and lethal weapon kind of thrown in there too. Yep.
1: Yeah, all of that And it and it really works and pays off because you're like, okay, that's kind of silly. And the first time they bring it up, because Chuck goes through all these different partners, which is a running gag through the whole thing. And he has a speech for each, you know, the same speech that he gives <laughs> each partner and you see the first time and you're like okay that's kind of funny and the second time you're like where are they going with this and <laughs> and by the end of the film you're like okay that that is hilarious like they kept that running gag yeah and my favorite running gag is anytime chuck just is he he just gets upset at somebody flips him off right <laughs> and there's all these sequences where you got to pay attention because you know um th- there's just an entire sequence where the uh uh the his captain named jack shit is um yelling at him and he just has slowly two fingers coming up flipping him off but if you're watching the rest of the film i mean he's he's constantly doing that in the background to people when he gets upset at him and my it's, it's oh, yeah, my,
2: my favorite yeah. one was in the car when they're in the tunnel and he's in the car and he just does it it he just got that look i i had to rewind that a few times and watch it again i was dying I was by myself just almost like in a fetal position laughing oh that tunnel
1: sequence when when he, the car is on top of the other car and then yep. he tells him don't do drugs as he just unloads a clip of his uzi in him i yeah.
2: think i think that tunnel sequence is like some of the like it, it's it's crazy what they did it's yeah. crazy
0: <clears throat> yeah i'm with i'm with brad i, I think that was my Favorite sequence from, you know, the rookie getting in, them taking off, going through the tunnel, all the action, the speech, um, and then the aftermath of, you know, the Captain Jack shit, just, you know, reaming him out. And you're you're seeing, you know, what exactly that first day with uh, Chuck Steele did to his partner. And it was just freaking hilarious. Just absolutely hilarious. Yeah. And we have, we
2: have force ghosts at the end. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I got to tell you the last 20 minutes of this thing are probably some of the best 20 minutes of, of cinema. Yeah. Ever. And, and the only way I can describe it is if you were to, if you were to take, um, the, the big action sequence of Cobra and you were to go, okay, the only thing that's missing are zombie clowns and monsters and maybe, you know, some of the slapstick humor of evil dead Two. Let, let's put that in with the, the last 15, 20 minutes of Cobra where he's like on the, uh, that truck just mowing down all the bikers and stuff. And they had, that's the last 20 minutes of this film. It is glorious. Uh, And it, from a technical standpoint is just amazing. And just when you think you've seen it all, then it just takes it up to the next level. And again, you have this joke and I don't want to ruin it, but there's this joke with um, Chuck Steele and politicians. And he just makes this (laughs) comment just randomly. Throughout the film and it has one of the best payoffs and best, you know, just uh, one liners at the end of it uh, of just this big action sequence Um, and it's fantastic. But I can't I want to make sure folks understand, too. I'm not just sitting here saying that the movie looks amazing and it's just an incredible feat of claymation and it's just this love letter to 80s films. I really think it's a smart film. I actually think it does a good job of subtly poking at our current society a little bit, too. Like, I think it's pretty smart. There are some things that it's referencing, and it's not just making fun of the 80s, but it does this roundabout thing where it's basically saying, look how ridiculous the 80s are, and look at how these characters are commenting on the ridiculousness of the 80s, but in fact, they're kind of highlighting the ridiculousness of like 2020 and 2022 almost. Um, and just, you know, our, our current um, situation. So it, this thing works at different levels. And some may say, well, hey, the, the social, the political commentary doesn't really hit as well. Um, and again, it's not mean spirited. I think he does it in a really smart way where he's basically saying, Hey, look, we were kind of ridiculous in the '80s, um, and we're kind of ridiculous now. When you take a step back and, and think of it, and there's just this underlining message—a little bit of the world is still crazy, and we still take ourselves way too seriously. And uh, Mike Moore just has fun with all of that. And again, I I think this film just works on every level in terms of it, it's a visual feast. It's extremely funny. If you love '80s action films, you are going to sit there with a checklist and go, "Oh, that's a Tango and Cash reference. Oh, that's a Commando. Oh, that's mm-hmm. a Code of Silence. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's I Come in Peace. Uh, oh, that's Evil Dead Two. Oh, there's Fright Night. I mean, you're just going to go through the list of movies from the '80s, and it's all there. Um, you could you could probably play a drinking game to that, although you'd you'd your kidneys would be shot, your, <laughs> your liver would be shot, you know." at the halfway mark. Um, but yeah, it's just, it, it works on so many different levels and I, I just love the whole thing.
0: No, I mean, you're right. It is a smart movie and um, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, it's drawing on parallels of what used to be considered quote funny. You can poke a little bit of fun of in the eighties. There's, there's a parallel to you can kind of do it today. I mean, cause some of this stuff is just purely silly. It is, you know what I mean? And I, I, I will also say, even, even if you're not, you know, like a, Forgive me, true child of the 80s, and and you don't look for those different movies. What I loved about this movie is that from start to finish, I I was eager for the next scene. Not eager for a scene to end because I was bored out of my mind. The movie flows at such a pace, and, and the lines and the story and and, and visuals, it, it's just such a well-done movie. I think, Troy, to your point, what you were saying. <clears throat> You know, we're not it's not that there's one aspect or another that makes this movie great. It's just a combination, it's the right formula um that was that was mixed and delivered with this film. And, and it's and it's a it's just god, we say it so many odd times, but I think I think Chuck Steele, like the tunnel sequence, this was truly a fun ride, start to finish in watching
1: this movie. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And, and I think it, it reiterate like there's a joke with the captain that goes along with this whole movie, <laughs> <laughs> and
0: everyone can relate to it at some level.
2: And, and, but like, even then, it's like there's no mean spirit behind it, and it, they're not like I think in any other movie you might be like ah, I don't know about that, but like here, I never was really like offended or anything like that because there's no it, there's no malice behind it. It's just a joke, and they're just doing it. And I don't I think. That's a big difference too, is like this movie. The way it goes, it's just like a lovable, it's kind of like that lovable goof. And and so I don't take it too seriously, but a lot of things do hit. And I was uh when you said, you know, oh, you know, there's no it's kind of a love letter and all this stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, there's like no malice behind these jokes, really. Fair. They're just making jokes. And I think uh I, I hope people can I don't know. It's they're it's supposed to be they're jokes people lighten up.
1: It, yeah. it is I think if I think it just falls um absolutely within sort of that Team America South Park uh mentality mm-hmm. of again kind of poking at the silliness of how serious we can be on certain topics and it works because it it's really not coming from a malicious place and I appreciate that right mm-hmm. I mean th- this is the type of movie that at the end of the day. I totally understand why it may not have gotten like a huge distribution out of the gate the way a traditional film would be. I'm sure COVID and, and all that stuff probably had something to play in it, too, because when this thing is hitting the film circuit and it's starting to make its rounds, we get into COVID. And then I'm, I'm sure Mike Moore, you know, had some distribution challenges from that perspective. Um. But at the end of the day, it, it is one of these films that it seems refreshing because it's just not afraid to just go out there and say, "Let's just have fun," right? And and we just don't have that type of cinema right now.
2: Well, and and it helps that the movie's really good.
1: Yeah, it, that that's the thing. It would yeah. be different if it were just if it weren't any good, uh, and and a lot of the jokes and stuff were cheap shots. But it's just genuinely, genuinely funny. I, I would equate it like. Doing action parody, and we've talked about one on the show before, um, The Last Action Hero. And I think it hits a like that movie hits a little bit more for you, Brad, than it did for me. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I I think I called it a bomb and you gave it a pass. And mine was even marginal because there's stuff in there that I like about it. But for the longest time, I always thought if you wanted to look at the best parody of an action film, you had to go to Hot Fuzz. Hot,
2: Oh yeah, I was going to say Hot Shots as well.
1: Yeah, Hot Hot Shots is a good one, but Hot Fuzz to me does that thing where it it lampoons and parodies 90s action films and then turns around and becomes sort of a 90s action film at the end and doesn't miss a beat and it and it it just flips that, you know, that script so so smoothly yep. and it all works like it doesn't feel out of place. And I would say that this even just rivals um, Hot Fuzz. Like if if I were doing a perfect program, I would say you should watch Hot Fuzz (laughs) and Chuck Steele together and you will not only get two of the funniest films out there ever made, you'd also get two of the best action films out there um, ever made because they do a great job of lampooning it, but at the same time embracing all the craziness of it and making it work. I mean, do not underestimate Mike Mort shot an action film here. Like I would love I I would love for Mike Mort to go back in time to the 80s, work for Canon and do a Chuck Norris film because I think he would make probably the greatest Chuck Norris oh, film God. ever made. <laughs> That's not too difficult. No, 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 but I I think yeah, I point. think Chuck Norris is missing a director like Mike Mort. I mean, yeah. it, there's even Invasion USA references in here too, but it that's how good Mike is at terms of directing and understanding action sequences.
2: Yes. But also face or balls.
1: It's a good question. <laughs> uh, my prostate's really been acting up. So I'm going to have to say face.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I think uh, you know
0: that was what I thought kind of genius too, was, you know, um, Mike Mort is, is English the, and, and immortal studios is in England. And what I loved in, in, in their delivery of the humor was it, it, it was that eighties humor, but there were glimpses of English humor woven into it, which just, just made everything work. And it, without giving anything away,
1: you know, it's, it's, you know, the flying pig. <laughs> oh my God. I forgot about that. Yes. <laughs> well, is, isn't that weird that we've got people that uh, aren't, raised or growing up in America and they're making these type of films about American cinema from a very specific time period. And they do the best job at understanding what type of film it is and trying to recreate it. And they, in some cases like this one, I think do it better than some of those eighties films.
2: Well, just look at the man who feels no pain. Yes. This one and that, like the two love letters to films about action movies are not American films.
1: Yeah. I mean, Edgar Wright, hot for us. I mean, it's yeah, exactly, it, it, it yeah. is amazing to me. Like this, this is my favorite thing about movies is especially going to another country and getting their interpretation of what may be an American genre, a uh, recreation of American film, something of that nature. And again, Mike Mort just said, I'm going to look at every Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Canon, Chuck Norris, Steven Seagal film, anything that was ever made in that time period and i am going to one up it i mean and yeah. and he does in my opinion no he does i mean he that's
0: exactly you know what i felt from this film was like you know i i'm here to tell my story through this movie and that's exactly what he delivered right he had a story to tell and he delivered i think we we talked about that several times where you know there's no underlying agenda or anything. It's just like, this is what he enjoys. This is what he wants to bring. He wants to make us laugh. He wants to make us go, Oh my gosh. Um, and and relieve, relive a little bit of our childhood. And and like I said, he hit all the check boxes for me and uh, 110% Babe Ruth smacked it home run. Uh, It just, just a, just a wonderful, wonderful film.
1: I agree. Uh, what else? What, what other kind of praise do you want to heap on this thing? I'm so glad you guys loved it.
0: Oh, I I was so excited um, to watch it with you. And as soon as the movie started, I already had this shit eating grin on my face and (laughs) it just, it just did not stop throughout and (laughs) genius, genius, genius. That's all I can say. I can't say enough. I can't heap enough praise Uh, Mike Moore. uh, If you're ever listening to this, hopefully you are. This is man. You're awesome, dude. I,
2: Oh, we're already planning like our next get together in, in Baltimore. And I'm like, I can't wait to get in a room and watch this with you guys. Oh gosh.
1: Oh, hundred percent. That, that's where we need to do the drinking game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and and one other thing I want to want to say, and, and again, this is, I, I think I kind of picked up on my third viewing it, it. You're watching the film, et cetera. And you're trying to take it all in. And I, I can't remember which viewing it was all of a sudden in my, in my ears, I'm like that, that sounds like Vixen. Uh, that, that sounds like X, Y, Z. And, and I'm thinking in my head, all the music that they were using, like, I'm the only person that knows this shit. I, I was, <laughs> I'm like, who, who the hell knew about Vixen X, Y, Z. Um, Judas priest. I, I, th- Judas priest yep. was in there. Uh, and, um, Saxon back on the streets, which they re-recorded that song for this film. But between that and the original score, which really nails the '80s action music. Uh, it, it's very lethal weapony, um, <laughs> with a little bit of synth in some spots. But dude, I, I was just a fan of the soundtrack. Like the fact uh, that was, he's he's doing amazing. all of these '80s hair metal bands and stuff that I grew up on and, and loved. I'm like, I I only I thought I was the only one that had a Vixen album. Yeah. Uh, so no, you are. You are. I'm, I'm I'm so proud of that then because vixen is awesome uh, but yeah the, the music he gets it down even to the music that's that's what I meant about it. genius on so many levels this
0: you know Mike Moore I, I, I don't know his whole thought process when he you know go, I, when he was you know looking at how to put this all together but oh my gosh it, it's just
2: again it's just genius.
1: yeah, I agree.
2: I kind of wish I, I kind of wish troy that someone would have talked to him about some of these things.
1: You, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a good segue. So I have a surprise for you both. What's that? Well, I, I think it was after the second time I watched this, we're going to England. No. Um, Oh shit. I in paying. pan. <laughs> definitely. No, <laughs> I, I started to do a little research, right? So I I went to the website to uh, Animortal and you can see what I started to look for specifically, was the poster art and what they were doing from a website perspective for this film, because after watching it and uh, not really seeing really any articles, I think there was an article in Fangoria um, on the release of it when it was coming out um, earlier this year. Again, that little blurb that I read about the Blu-ray, I, I, I couldn't find much on it. So I go to the website and, and I'm encouraging everybody to go to the Animortal website. There are some amazing uh, tidbits of information on this film. More specifically, Mike Mort went back to all of his favorite eighties movie posters and recreated them with the Chuck Steele characters. So you can see his interpretation of like big trouble in little China, fright night, um, 48 hours, the last boy scout. They're, they're brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant. And, uh, I just, I just saw this email for Animortal studios. You know what? I'm just going to send an email out and tell him how much I love this film. And so I, I sent an email and said, This is probably the best thing I've seen in years. Would would love all the information, anything you've got on this. And Mike Mort responded back. And so no he way. and I started talking. And I just asked him, I'm like, would would you spend a few minutes with me talking about the making of this film and sort of the genesis of uh Chuck Steele, Night of Night of the Trampires. And and honestly, guys, I was I was hoping for five, 10 minutes. We had an amazing conversation that was much longer than five or ten minutes. I'm gonna play a portion of this, um, the the interview itself, so that all of you can hear uh about Chuck Steele from the guy who created Chuck Steele, Mike Mort. So you so you ready for the interview? Damn. Hell yeah. Bring it on. All right. Here we go this is uh this is my time um asking mike mort a lot of questions about chuck Steele and and pretty much just gushing over him so i apologize in advance because <laughs> this is troy in full fanboy mode so here we go I have the distinct pleasure of sitting down and talking with Mike Mort, the director of Chuck Steele, Night of the Trampires. Uh, Mike, how are you doing today, man? Or this evening? I guess we're on a different time zone here.
3: Yeah, I'm good. Uh, ready to go over the history of uh, of this movie project that took up so much of my life. But <laughs> Okay. Well, but I got to get this. What- I you, have just, to, you just see it now is the
1: thing. Yeah, I, I just, I got to tell you, uh, I discovered this film by accident and I immediately fell in love with it, which is why I reached out to you. Um, I It has it been just one of my favorite cinematic experiences of this year. I mean, no BS. You managed to capture like 80s action film in claymation and not only make fun of it, but give it give it this reverence that you just don't see done today. Um, and I, I have so many questions for you, man. This, this is, this is a real work of art.
3: Thanks. Fire fire away.
1: Okay. Well, I, I just kind of want to start with you first. Uh, I've, I've read some history about you, um, and, and didn't even know that you had done some live action shorts too, that you have on your YouTube channel. And I watched those, but I'm really curious, how did you get started uh, in this industry and, and maybe what inspired you to kind of go specifically into this type of filmmaking?
3: Um, well, I I always loved films from when I was a kid, uh, especially anything that had monsters in and um, special effects and Ray Harryhausen. Obviously, I loved all of those movies. Um, my father used to take me to the cinema a lot and I, and I grew up watching, you know, stuff like, uh, the things that come back to me from those days is, uh, which is about, what, 30 or 35, 40 years ago now <laughs> um, were things like, you know, Flash Gordon obviously Star Wars, uh, the Ray Harryhausen movies, or the Simbad films and the old Terence Hill and Bud, Bud Spencer movies, you know, just lots of crazy stuff from my youth it, and I just got into movies uh, very early on um, and my brother had a cine camera, Super 8 cine camera at, um, for Christmas once, but he never used it. And uh, I sort of stole it and started playing with it and tried to make some stop motion things because there were some programs on UK TV back then that early Aardman uh, project called Morph, which I don't know if you're familiar with over there, but it's a, a very simple character that was on a on a desk in, in another show, in a live-action show, and he would come up each week and just be this ball of clay that would animate. And, you know, watching that and combined with knowing learning how, how Ray Harryhausen used to work, uh, it made me think, well, I'll, you know, you can try... Or why don't I try and do that myself as a kid? you do just trying things out. And uh, yeah. so I, I just started playing with the super eight camera and uh, eventually you know it was terrible the first few attempts and then eventually you'd start to see something working and you just keep just kept plugging away at it really um but i was weirdly my fascination and my love is live action movies i'm not a huge um i mean i do like animation and i do watch mm-hmm. some animation but mostly my inspiration is, is live action films and i think i I only focused on animation because I wanted to do the visual effects that other people would like. Um, Phil Tippett and Randy Cook were doing, you know, the uh, the the creature effects in live live action movies, uh, like Ghostbusters or The Gate or you know yeah. all the Thing and all of those things. Um, but obviously, when when I left college, it was like early nineties, ninety two or three. I don't know. It was the year just before. Um, Jurassic Park came out and pretty much killed that whole industry of stop motion special effects in movies, you know, sort of, it was a gradual thing, but it killed it off. So I ended up going down the road of making more sort of cartoony stop motion things. I had an opportunity came up to make a a TV series about cavemen called the Gogs, which uh, won a BAFTA and things and ran, that took about I think six or seven years to, to oh, the U.K. Yeah. It was a, it, it. did sell globally, um, and it got us noticed by um, Steven Spielberg many years ago, and they flew us out there to talk about the project and other ideas. And years later, the Croods came out, and I thought, hmm, "There's a similarity there," but you know, <laughs> I, I didn't follow that up. But uh, yeah, the um, after that, then so I did commercials. Um, lots of different commercials came in and but Chuck Steele was always a character I came up with that character when I was 15 when I was in school and just used to draw him all the time in the school books and it was always a character I was hoping to make a film with one day I never thought I'd get it made but uh, I, I, I reached a point I think in 2000 and what was it 2011 or 2010 where my commercials career was kind of going very quiet and I thought I need to do a short film to get seen again. You know, you only have a certain shelf life as a commercials director in animation, I think, because you know it's all about the the young youngsters coming up, you know. Okay. Um, so I thought I needed to get noticed again. So I thought I'll go back to what I know and I thought I'll make one short Chuck Steele film, and then that'll be the end of it. I'll just get it out of my system. So I started making the short film, The Raging Balls of Steel Justice, in my basement here, making the puppets and the set. And um, gradually, uh, I managed to secure some funding through some fortuitous, you know, connections for the short film. And I managed to bring in a crew to to work on that of about six people over eighteen months. And we churned out the short film, which which did well in festivals, and it was kind of, you know, I was happy with it. And then the funders of that film wanted to make a feature film. And I was like, oh, okay, well, uh, and I had written the feature script back in 2001. So I just dusted that off and said, well, what about this? And we kind of just went for it in 2014 and started making it and finished it in 2018. And oh. that's when the trouble started then trying to get it out there.
1: <laughs> so let me backtrack here. Um, so you're, you're making uh, the short film in your basement. Like how many people are involved in that once you secured funding? Because that that short film is is absolutely fantastic, and I saw that after watching your feature film. I didn't even know the short existed, but it it uh, it definitely has a scale to it that looks like it's it's something that comes out of of Hollywood.
3: Yeah, I wanted to make uh, a fifteen minute short film that would show the three act structure and a proof of concept of what Chuck Steele could be. So it was um I wanted to make it a beginning, middle, and end. Establish mm-hmm. the characters, establish the humor. Established the monsters, the fighting, the action, the style of it. So it was a very sort of condensed mini movie. And I'd been watching, I'd been rewatching all my lot of favourite '80s movies and the style, the way they looked, the way they were lit. And I thought, you know, there was a lot of ways of making something look epic sometimes with with not with very little. Because a lot of those old films, if you watch them when they're outdoors shooting on a the street, they're only lighting the area that's right in front of them, everything else is just spotlights and car headlights. Yeah. And you can kind of cheat a lot of things. And I just, I just went down that road of like, how can I make this um, on a budget? And it, it, it wasn't like mega bucks on that, but uh, it was a decent sized budget by the end, you know, uh, but we're not talking millions here. Not any of that. So uh, you're not, not even talking half a million, or right? anything. It was just, it was a, it was a small film, but it right. took 18 months to do. And we had, uh, I think at maximum we had about, a, about six people. So
1: Six, I, that's it?
3: Yeah. Wow. So, uh, I, Like I said, the models and the set, I, I built myself at the beginning from armatures and things that I'd kept over the years. I just re, repurposed them. And then a friend of mine, Dave Sethi, who's a really good model maker, he came in, started helping and, and worked on the um the robot was his main thing. And because he's very good at that precision model making, which I, I, I'm a bit more um, sculptor, the mm-hmm. sculpting, you know, that's my bag. But um, so after that, then when we got the, the funding, it was pretty much, I think I split the, we were also shooting in the garage. So we had four units running. Uh, we'd split the, the basement, which was a big open space. We split into three, I think, at the uh, the, the bit most we were shooting. So four units. Um, and then, yeah, it took 18 months for the crew of about six. It was quite intense. It was not, not a lot of space and uh, a lot of, uh, you know, hard work to make it, uh, look good, but, uh, yeah, it turned out well. So we were, we were ready to go onto the bigger project then that was the, uh, that was the challenge next.
1: So what, what changed for you as a creator when you went from shooting the short in your basement garage to like a full length feature film. I mean, were you still pretty hands on with sculpting and character design or did some of that get taken away from you because you're just running around, you know, really coordinating a, a giant film?
3: Yeah, it was a bit bit of both really. I, I did, when I started on the feature film, I did hope to, I did want intend to step away from certain things that I'd done in the past, you know, cause I'd, done a lot of sort of model making and animating myself, which obviously I knew I wasn't going to animate much on the feature film because I was running around organising and, and directing. So I think we had about 27, no, was it 30 units I think we had at one point? I, I forget now, but it was a lot of running around and uh, setting up shots and, uh, you know, all of that stuff that right. go with directing. But... Um, I did keep my hand in on sculpting. I sculpted a lot of the, most of the creatures uh, because I, because I like doing that and it it was my go-to place when I needed to think I would just sculpt. Um, So there was a lot of that um, and I designed all the characters as well because again, I like doing that process, but there was a big team on that and there was a lot of other jobs that needed to do it. You know, as far as my, me being hands-on, it was pretty much ended at the sculpting. I didn't get involved in other stuff like molding and casting and all of that stuff that, you know, there's better people out there to do all of that. So uh, I was thankfully able, able to step away from some areas, but then other areas I creatively couldn't let go of as well. So I I ended up uh, jumping back into certain things um, just to get what I wanted, really.
1: Okay. So I, I, I've watched it, honestly, about three or four times now. And the first time I watched it, I really, I mean, my jaw hit the ground, and it was hard to follow along with the jokes because that opening sequence on the the rooftops with the ninjas. My entire family is is watching this, and we're like, how how did they do this? Um, <laughs> we we were just blown away, and uh, I've had a couple of people watch this for me, and everybody has the same reaction, like, why does this look so much better than anything Ardman Animation was doing, with like Wallace and Gromit? Like, is it filmed differently or? Uh, it just has a smoothness in in realism that I don't think I've ever seen before in Claymation.
3: Well, one one of the um, things that I wanted to do with the film was it was important that it felt like a live action movie. So the way my brain works when I'm directing a scene is always I do think about how those films used to be made. You know, there would be a reason things would cut away to something else because they couldn't achieve it with CGI back then. Mm-hmm. So there was stylistic choices why a shot was was so short or was, you know, or why you'd cut away to an, a different effect and then cut back to the other effect. Because I was trying to mirror the type of limitations they had in those 80s movies. Mm-hmm. So there's special effects in there that are mimicking uh you know things from Fright Night or the Thing or that kind of thing. And and I wanted it to feel like that. So that the, the style of the film is very live action oriented. The lighting of it's very live action. But in terms of the smoothness of the animation, we did shoot everything on singles, which is one frame of movement, and that you know, so tw- twenty-four frames uh, per second. So when you look at an Ardman film, generally they do twelve frames per second. So they oh. they take they take of they take two frames every time they do a movement. That's why they've got that. their style has got that slightly more staccato yeah. feel. Um, I know Leica shoot everything on singles as well. They they've got a very smooth thing. Uh, a smooth animation style, but the difference between what we did and what Leica and Artman did was probably more in the way um, I, I approached the scenes and the storyboarding. That you would shoot it in a much more live action sensibility and not linger around hat showing how beautiful the models are or how amazing the sets are or, or look at this big sweeping camera move. You know, it was all like meant to look like a know Chuck Norris movie so (laughs) I didn't want to to embellish over embellish certain things and 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 just go for it It, on the the impressive stuff had to be doing the action scenes and the 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 you know the monsters and all of that stuff so it was it was a stylistic choice more than anything perhaps and and we also we did a process in VFX where there was a, a a degree of motion blur added to each shot so it would just smooth things out even further, you know. Just a subtle hint of it, um, and and that kind of gives it a more fluid feel as well.
1: It it it's amazing, and I I can see that now because you hold some of those action sequences up to anything that would have been in Cobra or Commander, it is shot like a Chuck Norris film. And yeah. I find it every time I rewatch it. There's something going on in the background I didn't catch the first time because there's it's just constantly moving like a, a, a just a live action film.
3: Yeah, I mean, when one of the films I watched before I made the short film, I mean, I mean, I rewatched all the old Sigel movies, and uh, but Cobra was one of the main ones I looked at, and also Dark Angel with uh, Dolph Lundgren. That's oh, a very yeah. very eighties movie, um, and. Those those kind of styles and stylistic choices in the lighting and the look. Um, you'd look at certain scenes where even just a dialogue scene between two people, you'd still have cops milling around in the background, out of focus. Yeah. You know, and when you talk about doing that in stop motion, you think, "Oh God, that's a lot of work just to have something blurry moving in the background." Can't we, can't we do it in CGI? And I was like, "No, we're going to make hundreds of puppets, and we're going to do it all for real." Um, I don't know why we did that, but it it was just, it was a again a stylistic choice. I think I, I didn't want to go down the road of um, trying to. I, I knew our budget was of a certain amount. I knew how to do certain things, and I I didn't want to step too far into the CGI world because I think that I would have lost control of certain. Parts of it, I think, because that would have had to just be done and put in there, and you'd have, you'd have had perhaps the same characters moving about in the background or, or repeated shots or things like that. And I and I said, I spot those things in stop motion movies when they do those cheats. And I and I thought I, I didn't want anyone to be able to spot that. So uh, we we shot. All the backgrounds you know in the same way you would a live action thing we just populated it with puppets and they had to move around (laughs) it's
1: it's just amazing like i said i my first viewing i was just shocked at all the stuff going on in the background um and and so you said the script was originally created in what 2001
3: yeah that's when i finished the first draft we did we did some rewrites and updating uh before we started shooting but it was essentially that that script um, and I think that's why it, it, there were certain jokes and certain things in that script that because we're in a different time now, uh, we we're, were not offensive when I wrote them, but I know, oh, my God, you can't, you can't yeah. laugh at that, you can't say that, you know. So that's kind of affected our our release of the film, really, a little bit, uh, well, a lot, because uh, we we did... We did spoke, speak to a lot of uh, large, big studios who there was interest in it for a while. And it, it we kind of were kept dangling for about two years on, on a release, you know, with different entities.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: But they ultimately kept going nowhere. And um, we ended up releasing it ourselves because we just needed to get out there. Uh, time was going by and um, it, it's been the hardest part of it, probably, even though it was quite a hard film to make. It's when you get to the distribution stage, it's not something you can control because you've made the film and it's just, you just, you know, at the mercy of the marketplace then. And, uh, our film was, uh, maybe deemed, not politically correct enough for this period of time we're in. So, uh, we, uh, it, we, might, <laughs> we, we might end up being a cult film over time. Who knows, but we'll see.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I can definitely see that. I mean, when, when we watched it, it's it's hard not to compare it to things like Team America, World Police, etc. But for me, it has a lot more in common with a film like Hot Fuzz in that it hits all of the action beats primarily. Like, it is an action film through and through. It just yeah. happens to have this very raunchy comedy to it that doesn't come from a mean place. It, it actually is kind of pointing out just really the dumb stuff that went on in 80s action films and highlights it. And I That's never...
3: And also the eighties comedies that we all liked, you know, like um, Police Academy and all yeah, those kind of raunchy, exactly. raunchy comedies. I, I basically threw everything I loved into this film that I grew up with. You know, it's 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 eighties comedies, eighties horrors, eighties action movies, all in a blender, yeah, uh, with some other crazy and some British horror stuff in there as well. So it's it is a big influence soup, <laughs> yeah,
1: just- it is, but I, I was surprised. So there was this moment, um, when I found out about it and, uh, I had ordered the blu-ray from the UK cause there's not a physical, um, release in the U S it's just digital. Uh, but I'm like, I gotta, I gotta own a copy of this just based on the trailer. So as soon as I get it home, open the mail and, uh, show my wife and, and she's like, what trampires is, is that like, uh, <laughs> like prostitutes or something. I'm like, no, tramps like hobo. So we're having this exchange or discussion that leads to, you know, lady in the tramp and all. And I'm trying to explain to her, no, a tramp is, is a hobo. And as we're watching this film, you have a whole exchange that goes through that. So what I liked about your script as well is, yeah, there's this, there's this reference comedy that happens in parody, but you've got this string of comedy that is so genuine and hilarious that just comes out of nowhere. And it, and as soon as that happened my wife and I were talking to each other we just even laugh more cuz that's the discussion we had before watching it.
3: Yeah. Yeah, the tramp thing was um you know over here obviously the tramps meaning a, a bum right. it's a bum over here but that's the joke in the film but when I was making a film um I saw a clip of um Will Ferrell was on a chat show over there in the states and he coined the phrase tramp he was talking to the host and uh he was he was calling I think Kristen Stewart a trampire because there was something in the press at the time about you know gossip about people having affairs and stuff or cheating on somebody. Okay. And he was he was jokingly saying she is a trampire or something. And I thought, oh he's he's coined the <laughs> phrase differently now for me. So I had to insert I inserted that little exchange where Chuck says um where he, he says uh, do you mean like a woman who tears out your heart and sucks you dry that bit and uh, right. he goes, oh, no. he's like no, no no so that was just me trying to address this new iteration of it i didn't need to do it in the end because i don't think anyone remembers that interview he did but i remember seeing it thinking damn you know <laughs> that's come out before we've finished but is it,
1: it's that <laughs> level of comedy that sort of injects um into the script that just makes you laugh i think that much harder because it comes out of left field um and, yeah, and I, I think there's even a, a fantastic playoff at the end with werewolves, which we, had us laughing, too. <laughs> yeah, we.
3: I think by, I like, again, it's another thing that I'm influenced by is absurd comedy and British comedy to a certain extent, like uh, Monty Python. And um, I don't know if you know Rick Mayall.
1: Yes, from the, yeah. the uh, Young Ones, the MTV yeah.
3: show. I mean, I, I, I was a huge fan of Bottom, which was this, the, 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 the series that came after the Young Ones. Oh. Uh, yeah. and, um, well, and there was another one called filthy Rich cat flap, which if you haven't seen, you should.
1: I haven't seen that. It. No.
3: Um, and I love, I was just such a huge fan of that kind of comedy. It's just so crazy and silly and, you know, yeah, you could take offense or be outraged at some of it if you chose to, but it's so stupid and yeah. so out there. And, you know, there is a lot of that in the film as well. Um, and, and that's just my sense of humour in there, I guess. And comedy is a dangerous ground now, you know, because it's subjective anyway. Yeah. But even now it's even more subjective because everything's offensive to somebody. So it's like, you know, it was risky for us to have any comedy in there, perhaps. I don't know. But my, my backers were basically... I had no creative interference whatsoever. It was just like do do what you want. So I I, I don't know if I'll ever get that
1: again. <laughs> no, it's refreshing, and and you can definitely see that. I mean, I I can't sit there and say uh, nobody would be offended by something in this film, but I think that's what I like about it is it doesn't feel like it comes from a, a mean place. It no. to your point, it's coming from a reference to what the eighties were in terms yeah. of that comedy style. And I feel like it even highlights the absurdity, which makes it even more funny in today's environment. Yeah. I, I actually think it it is a really um, brilliant critique on us just through the humor that's within this film. And I, I mean, I really, I think that's what shocks me about it so much is I, I find as funny as it is, um, and some of the jokes, I mean, they're, they're toilet humor, but they're done with this, Air of brilliance that pokes fun at even what goes on today.
3: Yeah, there's well, thanks for that. I, you know, it's it, I one of the things the film has. I get any criticism if if that comes from the towards the film is usually the the tone of the comedy or you know the gags and things. So everyone admits that it looks great and it's and it's uh, you know a fun watch and everything. But uh, comment like I say, a comedy is divisive. It, it's yeah. it, it's it's either your bag or it's not. Um, but uh, you know, I don't know why we have to be. It doesn't appeal to everyone, and that's okay. You yeah, know, it's sure. just it, yeah. it's a film that appeals to some people who will get the joke, and, and that's fine. Um, and I, and I think um, I'm I'm happy that I did keep the comedy in there. There are some jokes that don't land, and I tell you, one of the thing one of the things that was was hard to achieve was some of the jokes in your mind are they work because of the sound effects you've got. Certain sound effects, like family guy sound effects, you know, the punching, yeah. the all of that stuff. And we had an we had a mix on the film originally, the, on the first version that went around to some of the um, to the studios and to the um festivals that I was never happy with. It didn't certain jokes were failing because he didn't have the right sound effect in the right place. I've I've since fixed that as best as I, I can throughout the film. Um, but there were some dead spots where I was like, oh, shit, "That's not quite working. That's not hitting. <laughs> you know, there yeah. needs to be a different sound effect. It's so subtle, but if you don't do it, you don't get the laugh, and that's the whole point of it. So, it's it was a big learning curve. The amount of extra detail you have to put in and consider on a feature film to a short, you know, you've got. I mean, the short was hard to make as well, but uh, and we did have pressure at the end getting it ready for a festival. But right. but we. Um, I eventually got the version, the, the version that I needed it to be. But the, the the feature film, I tinkered with the sound for probably another another year, uh, on and off when my backers were willing to do it. Just on, you know. I,
1: so hold on a second. You tinkered it for a year, just on that, like the sound effects, or
3: yeah, because it just wasn't cutting it for me. I was, oh I, man. I, I ended up doing a uh, a track layer of adding in a whole other layer of sound effects here and there. Which were what I wanted it to be was like a live action movie. But now and again, you have to insert some comedy sound effects. You have to, because it's so silly in places like the human world in it is very silly.
4: Right.
3: But the monsters, you should keep serious. Like the, uh, the trampers can be goofy and funny uh, and scary. You know, they had a cross section of all different types of creatures and faces in there. Mm -hmm. And some, some were mean and scary. Some were silly. Uh, but the but the threat to the human characters had to be maintained to be real all the way through the film. So you didn't want to make it's it's like that mistake you make. where if you make everything silly, nothing matters. So I kept the the villain and her motives uh, and the monster's motives, uh, you know, um, serious, so that uh, it it would be a counter counteraction to the stupidity of the human world in it because they were so. Sort of ridiculous mostly the kind of human characters you know
1: you you have so many uh jokes that have this through line in the film I, I gotta tell you my favorite it's to the point where even amongst friends who haven't seen this film yet and i'm i've already bought a few people like a digital copy i'm like here you gotta watch this uh it, it's that chuck Steele is always flipping people off like even in the beginning he's shooting a ninja and he's flipping him off but He's always doing that in the background, and that's sort of his emotional response when he just gets angry. It's like this passive yeah. aggressiveness. It, it's absolutely my my favorite moments of the film because you never expect it to happen. It happens in the action. It happens when he's talking to Jack or something of that nature. Um, but that's the other thing I love about this film. You've got these... Uh, every monologue to his new partner, you've got these running jokes and for me, they all work like it, it's really comedic brilliance how you kind of pull that line through, you know, the full 90 minutes. <laughs> Well, the
3: the the, uh, the partner thing was, you know, it was just a throwback to those those movies we used to watch—the action movies where they used to have a different partner every yeah. movie. It's like, what can we partner the cop with? And it just got so absurd, didn't it? And I just wanted to, wanted to have it go that absurd in one film. So it starts off normal, and then what he ends up with as his final partner is is it's, it's the history of action movies, isn't it? Of the eighties.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, again, this this thing works on so many levels because it. You could sit there and just spend all night quoting Tango and Cash Command. I mean, it's all there, every reference and joke. But I I do think there's some really good social commentary in there, too, which I don't know if it's intentional or not or if it just if it's social commentary because it works in today's environment.
3: It, it it depends what you spotted as the social com- commentary because some people have seen the film and said they they thought this that and and I've thought oh right okay because people do see things you know from every film you watch you will take something that nobody yes. else will take. It's what you
1: bring to the table, right?
3: Yeah, so there are there is some stuff that I intended just to highlight or mock or make a fun of or yeah. or just mention, but. There's also some stuff that people have spotted that I've gone, oh, yeah, I can see how you can see that, you know. So some of it was intended, but it depends what you saw. I don't know if you want to say. (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, I just I think the uh, it's the absurdity of the political. So here I'm going to try and articulate this because I wasn't prepared. But my favorite thing about it is um, the 80s were kind of an absurd decade. And I love this whole, it's, it's 1986, not 1985 anymore. And you, you know, you gotta, you gotta catch up, you know, uh, Chuck. And I I always like that reference because to me that by itself is some great social commentary on how quick society will change just based on a trend. Um, and I, it, that's an example because there's a couple of other things in there that I think it's kind of poking fun at our seriousness of 2022, yeah. But that to me is a great example where it's a kind of a throwaway joke where it's like, hey, Chuck, it's it's not 1985 anymore. It's 1986. And you're like, OK, that's kind of funny considering how quickly things change in 2022 versus 2021.
3: Yeah. Well, I'm going to say, yeah, I totally intended that. <laughs> OK, <laughs> <laughs> great.
1: Um, OK, I got I got to pause for a second. So can we talk about this soundtrack? So I'm listening to the soundtrack and you got uh, Vixen. XYZ, which I didn't, I thought I was the only one who knew XYZ or maybe even owned the album, their first album. Um, Judas Priest, Saxon. And then you've got this great 80s cop film soundtrack um, that's done, is it Joris Yeah, Joris.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Joris yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. Uh, how much input did you have just on the music choices and even the overall um, soundtrack that Joris put together? Well,
3: the, 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 the songs were chosen. By me because they're from my personal CD collection. Oh, so that's awesome.
1: I'm so happy. That is awesome.
3: Man. <laughs> it's all it's all my my I I spoiled for choice. I just couldn't decide which one to go with, and uh, I, I, there's still a few, but probably about another five other tracks that I wish I could have got in there. But I wanted to leave room for the score as well because Joris did such a great score, and I and I want I was always torn between do I go synth, you know, 80s synthesizer with this, or do we go? fill it with sound uh, uh, songs and then, you know, not worry so much about the, the, the synth stuff. But I thought, no, I want a big orchestral score as well, because it, uh, although I love the music of, um, is it uh, David Michael Frank? Is that his name? We did, um, I might have the wrong, I might have quoted the wrong name there, but he did a lot of the sound, uh, synth sound effects, uh, soundtracks on um Steven Cigar movies and things like that. He did a lot of those in the 80s. Oh, Showdown okay. yeah. in Little Tokyo and things like that. And I love the, the sound of that. And there's a hint of that here and there yeah. that Joris put, put into the score. But I essentially wanted a, a more of a an Alan Silvestri or a Jerry Goldsmith score. So Joris is such a good composer. Uh, he, I, I discovered him on a computer game kill zone i was playing a computer game years and years ago I thought, oh, who did the music on this and i looked it up and um googled him and it turned out he was in, living in the uk and i'd worked with his wife years ago because she was in worked in the animation industry oh. so, <laughs> wow. so wow well, man. so he did the score on the short film as well which he he made it sound orchestral but it's all digital i mean he's just you know he can do anything so um thankfully he came on and did the um the score for the for the film unfortunately i couldn't get time to go to the recording of the orchestral recording in prague i wanted to go but we were that's when i was struggling to pull the mix together at the end it was a lot of you know being pulled in different directions and i knew i knew joris knew what he was doing i didn't need to be there i would have just, i would like to have been there but uh right but yeah. joris did a great uh job on that and i i would uh want George to do any film i ever do again but, <laughs> but um the the songs like i say yeah were are all from my sound, my uh cd collection and uh, we saxon did re-record their track for us and they came to the premiere and so they've been kind of friends with us now since since making the film and uh yeah it was a good good experience doing that
1: that is fantastic I, so how did you conceive the last 20 minutes of this film? I'm it, the, the only comparison for anybody who hasn't seen it yet is it is like Cobra and evil dead Two had a baby on the screen. I mean, it, it is brilliant. It is some of the best cinema I've seen all year in terms of action, horror, uh, coming together. And I have to assume that was probably the hardest sequence to put together in terms of the complexity going on. Is.
3: Um, yeah, yes. I mean, there was a lot of tricky scenes to do in it, obviously, but um, the big battle scene uh, was the biggest because we had, I think there's one shot in it where we show like 200 puppets running around.
1: Yeah, it's it's when insane it, with the audience and what's going on in the ring and everything.
3: Yeah, and that there's a one shot where the camera comes over the bus and you see the crowd running around. Yeah. And that took one. that was one animator working on one shot for two months that took and ended up being what a second of screen. Yeah. So yeah, it it was an intense uh, uh, thing. I mean, it was, it was technically, um, it was a lot of stuff to get through. Uh, it, it, was quite easy shoot, not easy, but it wasn't too difficult shooting on that on those units because there was space, you know, you, you're not crawling through streets and, trying to get into little nooks and crannies. It was a big open arena. So you have oh, a little, okay. yeah. it's a little, it's quite forgiving. You can shoot, you can put the camera in one direction and it. you could be pointing anywhere. So from a scheduling perspective, it was very accommodating, you know, that you could just, it was a very sort of repetitive background in terms of in, interior circus. So technically the hard part about it was just the amount of shots uh, to get through. It was just you know relentless one shot after another and um, we didn't do a lot of um, we, we, we occasionally did some block throughs just to get a plan of what was going to happen but we didn't do that if we could avoid it and we we I, I always like to give the animators some freedom and say look these are the two things that need to happen in this scene this puppet needs to be there by the end of the shot or whatever, you know, technical direction
4: mm-hmm.
3: and some guidance on what needs to happen. But ultimately then with that much chaos going on, you can't be nitpicking over everything. You just got to say, right, you know, go for it and have some fun with it. And that, and I think the animators enjoyed doing that, uh, side of it, you know, where they got a little bit more freedom than perhaps they do on, on other projects uh, because I wanted chaos essentially at the end. And, uh, there was this whole discussion about how do we maintain continuity of background characters running around. And I, and I was always saying, don't worry about it. I said that, you know, the, the, the production team were a bit sort of like, well, we need to give them all numbers and have, know which ones are going in, which shot. And I was like, don't worry about it. <laughs> you just make enough so that nobody knows where they are. And the audience, when they're watching it, will, just see movement and chaos, and they won't they won't be checking out who's standing there and who's over there because essentially behind the main character they're, they're out of focus anyway because that's the style we were going for when you shoot when you're trying to make it look like an anamorphic movie from the eighties everything's got that shallow depth of field so yeah. you know the, the blurry thing saved us a lot you know so we could just do what we wanted just have chaos there so uh, the car chase was very difficult as well I would say oh that took, okay that took the that took pretty much the whole length of the chute just to do that sequence on one unit
1: did you have to build the cars um as because they looked so detailed i mean
3: not well, not the, uh, the cars were pretty much uh bought off a shelf the 118 scale toy cars oh, and okay. then we, we would add headlights in uh, and they all had mobile phone batteries in the boot that we could so we could just switch them on in the morning and they would last for the day um you would have to charge them overnight so that we, your batteries would work but um we didn't have have the problem of cables coming out of them and things like that so okay. they were free running cars with with lights and the animator just there was a hatch in the side of the tunnel the animator lean in and move them around but the, if you look at that sequence that's a good demonstration of the scales different scales we used on the puppets so we had three scales essentially we had the one, one six scale which is puppets are about 12 inches mm-hmm. and then we had the uh that was for most of the film and then 18 scale which was for the cars uh, exterior shots of the cars driving around and the city scale cities and things like that and then we had large-scale hands which are pretty much full size of a real person for things like where chuck presses the button in the car or pulls the cocks the gun or presses his foot on the accelerator we had they were large-scale props then uh so I, I just didn't want things to look, look look dinky you know when you went into that kind of small right close up you had to go to a bigger scale so that that sequence shows you all those scales just jumping in and out of different scales so uh you know if you freeze frame it you can see where we where those things change you know and um, the interior of chuck's car where the dialogue's happening that that car is a special build which you can lift the lid on and get your hands in and then close it back down so a number of different approaches on that scene but quite an intense space to work in that
1: one was. Yeah, I didn't even think about that because I, I, I just assumed everything was built from the ground up um, simply because of the amount of detail because the cars look worn. They they look like... Everything about this film looks so real. Like I would walk out my door and expect Chuck Steele to just be walking down my street or driving in that <laughs> car. <laughs> so I, my assumption is you didn't buy anything off the shelf. It was, yep, we, we built this from scratch because we had to... <laughs>
3: If any of the cars featured in close-ups or had something special to do, mm-hmm. we would uh, either weather them down or change them slightly. Like there's a scenes where the police cars crashes and tumbles, and we built some wing uh, parts of the metal that would buckle and stuff. So we had some special builds, but for the general sort of traffic moving around, it was cars that we just bought. We we probably dulled them down and weathered them a little bit. But um, yeah, that was they weren't all special builds. It was kind of We were It was trying to do stuff, make it look big, but our budget was at a certain level. You know, we were probably on a third of the budget of of a Leica movie or an Aardman movie. So we were trying to get every bang for a buck that we could. Um, So lots of cheats and lots of old school, you know, filmmaking in there.
1: It's amazing. Um, you You got to work with Jennifer Sanders, or Saunders, excuse me, which most people know her from Absolutely Fabulous. How did she get brought into this project?
3: Well, and Paul Whitehouse as well, uh, who who was another comedian. Oh, yeah,
1: Paul. Yeah.
3: yeah. Um, They both came in very late in the project. We'd already – there was a whole question when we were making this that we kept asking ourselves, like, do we need famous people in the cast? Because we'd made the short film, and uh, because I had started that on my own, I I tried to do the – I did the voices myself for the main uh, characters and that worked. So we left, we kept that as it was for the short film. Uh, And then we came to do the feature film and we thought, well, what are we doing here? Are we going to up this to, are we going to bring in famous names? Are we going to stick with what we did on the short film? So there's continuity and, and you know, the money is on the screen and not in pockets. Right. (laughs) So the, the decision was to, that, that we kind of did keep agonizing over this question all the time, but the decision was to do what we did on the short film, <coughs> which was to not worry about having famous names in the cast and to put all the money on the screen. Uh, so we progressed like that. So the voice cast was made up of me doing a bunch of voices again and also um, uh, voice artists coming in who, who weren't necessarily household names or anything. Um And that version worked, but then an opportunity came up once the film was pretty much finished and we were doing the mix through a colleague, uh, to have Jennifer and Paul, uh, revoiced a couple of characters. So they came in and post sunk those, their characters. Mm -hmm. It's not the right way to do things. It wasn't, but they did a good job and, and, you know, it, it, it sounds, sounds fine, but it was, it's not the right way to do things. If you can avoid it, you should always animate to the voice you, that was recorded, not the other way around, but, um, yeah, so so it was a bit of a late decision there, and because we, we were still, like I say, we were still agonising over what, whether we were going to need some famous names. I think I I can't, I can't really say in the end what effect that had on us. Whether you know, because we, we when we were talking to Millennium over in um, uh, um, Bulgaria, they they were shown in some interest at one point, mm-hmm. and then there was talk of like Sylvester Stallone perhaps doing. Chuck's voice, and it almost kind of happened ish. <laughs> you know? Oh, that, uh,
1: that would have ruined it for me. I'm sorry.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, we, like I say, it was it was that question that we we just didn't know what the right approach was, and in the end, the decision was kind of made for us. We we always thought, well, if a studio comes on board. Mm-hmm they would have to have some skin in the game so they they would want to revoice with some famous names on that, and that's fine i was i was okay with that i thought i just wanted to be out there and seen yeah um but obviously with us not getting not securing a big studio or a uh, that kind of distribution it just it just that issue just went away and it just it just is what it is now so um yeah it, it's it, we still look at that and wonder whether we made the right choices but it is what it is.
1: Uh, you definitely made the right. So I got to ask, have you been practicing the Chuck Steele? Because if nobody's seen the, the film and they're listening to this interview, and even if you go watch the Chuck Steele trailer, to, it's still, I'm, I'm talking to you right now, looking at you, and I can't <laughs> imagine Chuck Steele coming out of you. But how long have you been practicing that voice?
3: <laughs> I, I haven't been practicing. It was like when I did the short film, like I said, I, my my I didn't have any... Finances, and I was uh-huh. doing everything myself. And I, and I, at the very beginning, before I had be crew and, and then I had, um, I'd look at someone like you know Seth MacFarlane and the early Family Guy, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, you can do it in animation. You can do a bunch of voices, and if it sounds a bit ropey, if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter so much. You know, you, as long as it's funny. So yeah. I, I just gave it a try, and um, it sort of came okay. It, it, I was quite comfortable doing it. It was quite good fun doing it, but saying that. I don't like doing it in front of anyone. I have to sort of lock myself away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, no, no, I get that. I just, I in my head, I'm thinking, man, he's been practicing that since he's 15, because it is, it just sounds so natural.
3: No, I always pictured someone, you know, like Stallone or somebody doing the voice, so that was always in my head. Uh And it was just out of necessity that I did it on the short film. And then that just carried through to the to the feature film. And uh yeah, like I say, it's quite, it, it is quite fun when you do it, but I, I don't I I don't feel comfortable to sort of call myself an actor in any shape or form. I uh, <laughs> just did some voices on it and it kinda of worked. So uh yeah, needs must sometimes, you
1: know. Oh no, it's great. So can we all agree that clowns are scary? I mean I love I love the fact Chuck Steele hates clowns because clowns freak me out. Um is, is that a personal thing with you too, or is it just a comedy bit
3: I do not I d I d I don't I'm not one of these people who are scared of clowns, but I know that that's what they've become over the years, but I, I, I'm quite a fan of sort of slapstick and silly comedy. Not that not that I watch a lot of clowns all the time, <laughs> but uh, no, I'm not. I'm not scared of them. But I know they they fit well into the horror genre because because of the makeup and the craziness. So you know, we know also it was it was a bit of a homage to uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. So.
1: Oh yeah, in uh, that film, while funny, still gives me the creeps. So I, I don't know what it is. I, I think it was that early <laughs> Tim Curry, hit thing that that messed me up. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I I have to ask this too because you've you've dropped just some classic films, but um, what what are your favorite eighties action films? Like, do you, do you have the the top three or ones that you just watch on a regular basis? Uh, ooh,
3: top three. I um, I think. I do. I do. I am a fan of Stallone's films and uh, I, I like, you know, the Rambo movies, a uh, couple of the first two diehards are great. And uh, dark angel, like I said, I, I got a soft spot for that movie because it's this, this pure eighties. It's just oozes yeah, the eighty. I
1: think out. when I saw it in the theater was called I come in peace over yeah. here. Yeah. yeah,
3: that's right. Yeah. Which is a better title to be honest. I don't know what <laughs> it changed it for you, but um, yeah. And, and, I'm trying to think now I've got so many movies downstairs and they're not coming into my head but uh Chuck Norris Invasion USA that's a good one you know, classic. anything anything Canon did yeah I noticed you've got a good uh, poster on your wall there Nin- Ninja oh Enter the it? Ninja Enter the Ninja yeah
1: that's my favorite yeah. of the three
3: <laughs> yeah yeah classic I mean all of those types of movies I've just been reading the book the Canon movie guide you know a part two
1: Oh, uh, from Austin. What's funny is this last weekend, I took my son up to the Mahoning Drive-In in PA. They showed Commando, uh, Enter the Ninja 3, and Kickboxer. And they had a couple of guys from the Warriors there because they were showing the Warriors the night before. But Austin, um, and I can't remember his last name, he was there. And I got uh, two autographed copies of the Canon Film Guide, Volume 1 and 2 from him and talked to him uh, for a little bit.
3: Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty exhausted. Those good books, those are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, anything with Canon logo. I mean, on, on the on the short film, you can see we kind of mimicked mimic the yes. Canon logo. But I didn't do it on the feature film because I, I saw lots of short movies online where people were mimicking the Canon logo. So it's obviously, I didn't want it to be too repetitive. So we just created our own logo for the feature film then.
1: Okay. Uh, so what's next for Chuck Steele? So here's, here's the thing, like when do we get the soundtrack, the action figures, the lunchbox, like Chuck Steele two through six?
3: Honestly, I don't know because our distribution path has been so fraught and problematic that we have not really reached a, a very wide audience. You know, we it's this little undiscovered thing that people, sometimes find but um we don't have uh di- distribution in because of the way the industry's gone with streaming and with uh mm-hmm. you know the, the sort of studios creating their own streaming sites everything's become very protectionist so if you look at the big studios they're, they're they're closing their doors and basically saying we're making our own stuff and we're distributing our own stuff and there's no middlemen you know and that's where independent movies used to flourish. So independent movies now are floundering as to where does their stuff get seen? You know, you can put it onto Amazon, but it won't be promoted. You'll be down the line missed, you know? Yeah. Uh, The smaller distributors, it seems as we've gone down this process, you know, none of them have any money to pay for a film first up. They they don't offer minimum, minimum guarantees very often now. And if they do, they're very small. Uh, So they say, well, we'll take the film and if it makes money, you'll make money. You know, on a film of this budget, that's so much of a risk to just go, yeah, give your film away. Right. So we've we've ended up having to try to distribute it as much as we can ourselves, which means not having a distributor, but going straight to whatever platforms we can get it on. So it's across most of the uh, pay-per-view platforms that people watch in, in English language territories right now. It's in the US, Canada, Australia, and um, the UK, obviously. And uh, we've got the Blu-ray released in the UK. We don't have any physical media deals done anywhere else. We, we've we had offers from foreign language territories, but they're so minimal. You go, well, what's the point? We're just giving you a film for nothing. Yeah. We're not going to yeah. see a penny back. It's just the industry is just not helpful to this, t- this type of budgeted film anymore. So... Yeah, it's, it's been tough. So when you talk about merchandise, uh, obviously merchandise companies won't touch a film unless it's broken out and become huge. So if you're going to do merchandise yourself, you could set up a shop online and try and do that. But it's all small kind of self yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's a lot of work as well for somebody to do. This. So you, you, there's more money to go out there rather than coming in. Um, and in terms of a sequel, I, I do have an idea for a sequel that I'd love to do. And... My backers say they want to do a sequel, but, you know, we, we've got to see how this plays out, you know, if it gets found and it gets a bit of an audience, you never know what, what could happen down the line. But at, at the moment, it's uh, it's it's one of these sort of hidden movies. It's just bad timing. The way the industry's changed, COVID, all of these things, and political correctness, they just sort of all, it was a perfect storm against our, our little film. So, yeah. The yes, answer
1: is I don't know, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's totally I mean, it, it is a crazy time. I mean, I think everybody forgets, you know, what COVID did to every industry, especially the film industry. And I think yeah. we're seeing the after effects of it now, especially <laughs> yeah. when it comes down to the inde- independent films. I mean, we we go um, pretty heavy to a couple of film festivals. There's one coming up in Cincinnati, Hound, the that also does the magazine. And even their film selections are are. I, they're good. They're always good, but it seems like this year you're you're waiting for some I don't know bigger budget indie stuff, and it, it doesn't seem like it's right there. But I'm sure that's just a um, result of independent filmmaking in this day and age.
3: It is, yeah. The, the, everything's changing. There's not a you know the 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 glory days of independent movies of of sort of exploitation movies or grindhouse yeah. movies or whatever you think. You know they would they would always find a way to get to the cinema or to onto onto DVD or you know VHS back then. So there was always a route to market somehow, but the market now is is pretty much streaming. So if you can't, if you unless you can get the only, the only one that's open to, you know, just getting your film on there is Amazon. Um, but you know, it's it's just hard to get to make money in this in this yeah. game now. It's why you don't see a longevity of, of careers very much now. A Director might make a couple of movies and then just go, sod this, I'm going to go and work work somewhere where I can earn a living because it's 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 upside down now. It's sort of um, it's a distributors market, not not a distributors market, a streamers market and a right. studios market. You know, the the big players controlling everything, little ones scrabbling around trying to get their film out. It seems anyway. I mean, I, I, my view is obviously coloured by the journey we've had. Um other, other people might not have the same opinion of it. Um,
1: no, I I, I I think that's universal. Cause like I said, I'm just I'm looking at what's coming up for us at at this film festival that we'd like to go to and discover these films. And it seemed like you should you could see something at Horrorhound. I mean the first time I saw Tucker and Dale um it it was at a work print at Horrorhound. And to me that just kind of blew up, got some notoriety. Some some other films and Horrorhound has always been one of my favorite venues for like the small independent horror films. Uh, and I'm, I have a lot of faith like this year, they're going to find some gems cause they always do, but it, it just seems to me like what's, what they're trying to get after it, it looks like the, the, the landscape has drastically changed and there's not as much to pick from.
3: Yeah. Very quickly it's changed. And I've noticed that with a lot of festivals, you know, without, without naming any of the, you, you look at some of the, the sort of list of the films that are shown and you go, okay, something's missing here yeah. it's changed you know the the quality or the, or the budgets are less or whatever but it it's it's a harder place to be I think. i think because you you know like festivals used to be a place as well where you could show your film and you you'd have distributors wanting it or you'd have you know some deals going on but like i say the smaller distributors don't have any money or don't seem to want to spend any money so it's uh it's more about like, well, you've 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 managed to make your film now, and you know, well done. But uh, we, we'll see if we can make some money on it, and you'll make some if we do. And and that's an upside down thing. It should be, you know, if you, if the creatives are in, ending up never making a penny on what they do, they, they're just going to go away or or try and try and break in working at Netflix or Amazon and make their movies in 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 those environments. You right. Know? And um, problem with that i can see with that is that a lot of those big streamers and studios are very concerned about their corporate identity more so than the films so they're always going to push uh, things that fit in with what they want to be seen as yeah uh, so the independent movie market where ideas used to come up and crazy stuff used to happen and it's uh doesn't feel quite as crazy anymore at the moment but maybe, maybe it'll change i think you know everything's moving so fast maybe something it's, it's
1: all cyclical. I think we're I think we're just in that lull right now. Um, yeah. So how do people get a hold of it? Now I've I've bought it digitally. I don't know how many times and given it away. But and I got to say this <laughs> this Blu-ray that's all region um, from Screenbound. I think it is. It's the UK company. Yeah. It's fantastic. It it not only has the film, but it has the original Chuck Steele short, and it has all of your shorts. Uh, that you were doing, I guess, as as test footage or something for, for Chuck Steele just over the years? or
3: Yeah, it's got a few uh, Super 8 movies and 16 mil college films with Chuck Steele, and, you know, just where I was learning how to animate. And, and it was just the same, the character that I came up with when I was 15. So I just thought I'd put them on there as a little, uh, little sort of um, nod to the past and how long this has taken, you know.
1: No, I mean, the first one doesn't have any uh, audio to it, but it was fascinating to watch you experiment with that. Um, and then it's got the the uh, Saxon uh, Back on the Streets music video. I mean, this is probably one of the best Blu-ray releases I've seen this year, too, in terms of just, you know, commentaries stacked with double features. Uh, the poster. Please tell me there are some actual theatrical posters of this thing floating around. There's not. Oh,
3: well, we did. We we made some posters for us. Uh, so the, the, we we did a theatrical run in the UK, very uh-huh. small theatrical run, but it didn't do well because it didn't have any marketing behind it. It was just, you know, we just wanted to get it out there and uh, see if it would be spotted or whatever. But um turns out that the cinemas now, if you're an independent movie, they charge you to put your posters up. Really? <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, that's how upside down the industry is now. So... You know, we we did have some posters made, but they, I didn't like the quality of them, so we didn't have many. Uh, I don't even know where they are now. I I intend to do some for myself, but uh, it is a shame we haven't got those uh, one sheets and quads out there. But. uh,
1: Well, and you also on um, your website, animortalstudios.com, right? You yeah. had done some parody movie posters, and obviously these look like the films that uh, kind of inspired this film because you've got Big Trouble in Little China, Fright Night, uh, 48 Hours, but you did Chuck Steele parody posters of these action films um, that, that everybody can see on the website too, right?
3: Yeah. Uh, I, I, while we were waiting for the film to get out, I was just thinking, what can I do? So I just started not mocking them up, on, and I was just having fun with them. So I was in the end I was making one a day and it was just like, Oh, there we are. That, that works. So, you know, I could have kept going, but
1: <laughs> they're brilliant. They are. So we, we, we one night had to debate over, which was our favorite. Mine is the 48 hour one. That, that is fantastic, but they're all so good, man. You even did ET, which was kind of funny.
3: Yeah. I don't, I don't know why I put that one in there. I think it was just cause it was such an iconic piece of art and I had the idea about the the gun, you know, and yeah.
4: the thing.
3: so, but yeah, um, there's lots of poster artwork on there. I think it's, um, It's it's animortalstudio.com. So there's no S on it.
1: Studio, okay, that's right. Um, How else else do they follow you? You're on Instagram, right? Uh, Yeah,
3: if you you just Google, if you search for Chuck Steele on Instagram, you should find our page on there. Uh, And we've got a page on Facebook as well. It's a little bit quiet at the moment, but uh, we post anything that's happening it goes up on there. Um, I think we're on Twitter, but I don't think we're very active on there right now. It's just, it's too toxic. Twitter isn't.
1: <laughs> <Just keep on. laughs> no, I hear you. And then you can, uh, if if you don't want to order the physical copy, which I'm telling everybody, get the physical copy. Um, you can you can purchase it uh, or rent it. Amazon, iTunes. I think on your website too. There's a bunch. There's a whole slew of links of like where you can get it based on the country you're at. Right.
3: Yeah. If you go to chuckstealthemovie.co.uk, uh, that will give you every site that's available to rent the movie on uh that's in in the US or uh, so you can just click on watch movie and it'll take you to the the, the streaming site <laughs> 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 yeah so uh it's all on the on chuck steel the movie.co.uk. uk wait a second no that's not it is it i'm not very good at stuff self- oh yeah it is it yeah that is it
1: yeah, well, we're definitely going to post a bunch of links to it. Uh, Mike, I, I cannot thank you enough for releasing this character and this, this movie on the world. It has been my favorite find this year. Um, I'm, I'm going to be talking to, as a matter of fact, we're watching it again tonight because there's a new group of friends coming over. Uh, and I think I've watched this thing like three times this week already. So <laughs> um, it's just brilliant, man. Thank you so much.
3: Oh, a pleasure thanks thanks for uh, thanks for finding it and uh, spreading the word because uh, we, we need we need that if you like the movie try and uh, try and spread the word so we can make another one that's the plan
1: absolutely I one thousand percent support that comment but thank you so
3: much <laughs> no problem thanks a lot.
1: I got to tell you guys, uh, the first thing that threw me off was not hearing Chuck Steele's voice and and knowing Mike Mort did it. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) that that's Chuck Steele himself, um, doing the review, but I top 10 moment, like we could stop podcasting right now. I'm good. (laughs) 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 Nothing's going to top that. Um, no, it was so much fun and I, I gotta, I gotta tell everybody. So if you want to check this out, you can rent it or buy it if you're in the US through any of the digital platforms. So I own a digital copy on iTunes, I own a digital copy on Amazon. Um, so I bought this thing a few times. I've gifted it to a lot of different people as well. Just like, man, you got to watch this film. If you want to actually own a copy of it, like um, we do, because we like the, you know, the physical uh, media, you need to go to Amazon and order the Chuck Steele Night of the Trampires Blu-ray. So here's why you need to order it. It actually comes with the director's commentary. The short film that I talked about earlier that uh, was sort of the genesis of Chuck Steele. It, it Is that was balls, a, balls of Justice? Um, balls of Steel Justice. Ball,
2: oh, ball, yeah, sorry.
1: Yeah, that's included on the film. But what's really cool about it is you get to see all of these different test videos that Mike Mort was doing with the Chuck Steele character. I mean, all the way back when he was trying to shoot it on 8mm and 16mm growing up, I mean, he's been he's had this Chuck Steele character in his head for a long time. You get the Saxon Back on the Streets music video, you get a bunch of behind-the-scenes featurettes, you get all the trailers, you get archival material, and you get a double-sided poster... And sixteen-page booklet, and here's here's the greatest thing ever. This Blu-ray is all-region, so you don't have to worry about trying to get an all-region blu play. It's gonna play in your Blu-ray player, and uh, it. I, I think I picked it up for like twenty bucks. Is that is that? Yeah, what you it's paid? not
2: that it's not that expensive. Yeah, it
1: it it's, will be the best Blu-ray you buy uh, this year. Yeah, it's, it's it's definitely an investment well made. Yeah, I can't I can't rep enough for this. Um, but yeah, I mean please if anything if you don't want to invest in the film watch the trailer you can actually watch the 14 minute short uh on youtube and if you like that you can get a full movie of that 14 minutes and and i, I think the movie's better than the short even i mean it's more epic it's it's grander in scale the mm-hmm. short is absolutely hilarious um the other thing i would really encourage you to do so mike has done you know some live action shorts too I think he has a YouTube channel as well. So just go search out Mike Mort and check out, um, an action horror film, a short that he did from 2006 called deadly tantrum. Uh, it's really good. I I really enjoy that one, but it'll give you a sense of how good of a director he is because even within live action, he handles, um, you know, the action sequences and the horror in the comedy, uh, just to perfection. But, um, yeah, I, I can't encourage you guys enough. You've, you've got to watch this film. You've got to buy it. You've got to tell all your friends about it. And, um, I, we've got to do something to get this, <laughs> to get this widely distributed so that we can see Chuck steel to electric boogaloo. I don't know what the sequel oh my would be. God, called. that'd be awesome. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> oh, if, it'd uh, be crazy. Yeah. I, we, we need a Chuck steel sequel so bad. We need like seven Chuck steel movies as a matter <laughs> of fact. Um, It needs to eclipse like the Lethal Weapon series, I think. Uh, What else, guys? I mean, we've we've gushed
2: for a while, but rightfully so. This is a fun film, so check it out.
0: uh, The only thing I can add is, I think when you said it earlier, right? This this is a movie you can enjoy by yourself, but I I think I speak for all of us. You
1: will have a blast watching it with a group of friends. Absolutely, this is this is the best group watch you can do. Uh, I've I've enjoyed it um, watching it by myself. I've enjoyed it with the group. The group is the best, uh, I guess, environment to watch it in. It is not suitable for work, so don't watch it at work. <laughs> Unless you have a cool boss. Unless you have yeah, a cool I boss. At, I
2: work at home, so don't tell me what to do. Okay,
1: that's right. Um, but yeah, go go check this out. Uh, but we we were super excited to maybe you know you know, go off script for the typical not a bomb uh, podcast. And and this show is really just about highlighting uh, probably our favorite discovery. I, the thing I pride ourselves on is we will find some films. And when we talk to people who listen to the show, they're like, man, I would have never seen Love and Monsters. Or um what was the Russian one we did? Why don't you just die? Yeah, yeah. why don't
2: you just die? Why yeah, don't you just die?
1: yeah. Uh, Brigsby Bear. um This year, The Man Who Could Feel No Pain. I mean, we love kind of finding these little gems and and trying to champion them and get more people to view them. I would say out of all of the ones that we've talked about, if if you took our advice on Briggsby Bear and The Man Who Could Feel No Pain and all those other films, Love of Monsters, and you you really like those movies, you got to take a chance on this one. I can't. I'm really pushing hard on this thing, man. I I want Chuck Steele 2 so bad. Yeah. No, seriously, folks,
0: um, as we said, I mean, we all love movies. This is a movie I definitely love, and I'm willing to to guarantee I will refund you your Amazon purchase money if you actually do not love this movie. Uh I don't think I'll ever have to pay up on that because this
1: movie (laughs) is this movie is what's your
2: what's your address, John? So all the listeners can.
1: (laughs) I wouldn't put that. I'm not refunding anybody's purchase, but I still think you're going to love it. Yeah. And, and folks, we're not, we're not getting paid for any of this stuff. I mean, I feel like no. we're doing an infomercial for Chuck Steele, which I would gladly do for yeah. free. Um, There's and, gotta be a better way. <laughs> there is Brad <laughs> go to yeah, amazon.com. <laughs> yeah. This movie is better than flex tape y'all. So come on. I, I agree. hundred percent. No, we just, we're, we're in love with this thing. We want to share our love with the world and uh, please go check it out. Okay, folks. Well, listen, we will catch you at our next episode please do yourself a favor go check out chuck Steele, night of the trampires john thanks for jumping on the show my pleasure and we will catch you um i guess at the movies right or did some we can't say that can we because somebody else says that i don't think they're
0: alive anymore so we can take it now
1: okay it's ours we'll see you at the movies